All right. You know, delayed gratification, you know, sacrificing now with the promise of future reward. That's tough. Really tough. Now, remember that because we're going to be talking about that. But first, I want to say hello. And uh, and and I really, really glad you're here. Good morning. And uh, where whatever location you're at or some of you are online or even podcasting or or listening to this later. But I, I want to say hi to everybody at Legacy. So hi, Legacy. And uh, as well as Woodbridge and Sloan Creek and Richardson and N.S. Peñol. Um, today, we're in this series called Shadow Side. And we've been looking at really how to navigate the highs and lows of life well, because like what we've seen already is that the, the things we really want, the highs in life, like success, we talked about the first week are great. And and yet, if we don't navigate them well, they can actually be bad. And the same way things we consider bad, like suffering, like Andy talked about last week, if we navigate them well, can be redemptively good. And today we're talking about sacrifice, which by nature is not something that we just go for, that we pray for necessarily, because sacrifice by nature is really difficult because it's painful. We have to give up something. So today we're talking about sacrifice in light of the promise of future reward, which brings me back to the video that we saw with the kids. Now, those were kids of Chase Oak staff um, on the screens. And it, it is fun, right, to watch somebody else in that kind of a dilemma um, as they're, you know, trying to negotiate and figure it out and what they're going to do. And you can see how hard it is, the longer it is and all of that. And it's entertaining to watch them. But what I want us to understand is, is that you and I uh, face that same dilemma Every day of our lives, whether we realize it or not. And what I mean by that is that you and I, uh, as the Bible teaches, can either live for the here and now, or we can live now in light of eternity in heaven. Because what the Bible teaches is that, that you and I will be rewarded liberally, generously by God for everything we give up here for others, for his purposes and all that, we'll be rewarded for everything we sacrifice here for all eternity there. And what's going to argue if we're smart that we'll consider that as we live our life. And here's the big question. And it's what if future reward made every sacrifice in this life a no-brainer? And it kind of does, right? But that's a dilemma. Now, for those of you who are maybe investigating Christianity, trying to figure out, hey, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And, you know, what is all this about? Um, today is a good day to be here because we're talking about the fact that, that what the Bible teaches is, is there's not just this life, but there's a life after this, right? There's heaven and, and you'll get a, a part of, you, you kind of get part of the story of heaven in this and, and how that works and how this life impacts that. Um, and for those of us who know Jesus, it's an opportunity to consider this life in light of that next life. In fact, I want to prepare you for that. I want to prepare you for a couple of realities that you'll face in heaven. Uh, one of those realities, and I'll talk about them, is the concept of variable rewards and the concept of a of a judgment that will lead to rewards. And and I want to I want to prepare you for that because I don't want you to get to heaven and you're there like facing this judgment for your works and all that. And you're you're you know waiting there and you're thinking, I didn't know this like that bozo. Jeff was my pastor. He didn't talk about this like this would have been really good enough. And he talked a lot about Alabama football and, you know, Tua getting hurt and uh, and Alabama not getting into the CFP championships, even though that's not fair because they've only lost one game to the number one team in the country by five points. I mean, come on. Right. I mean, yeah, he talked about that. 
Well, at least feel sorry for two, okay? And uh, um, he talked about that, but he didn't talk about this. And, well, let's talk about this, because it's a really good reality, but also a really important one to know. So the first one is variable rewards. And what that means is, is that, that heaven will be great for everybody who's there, but it won't be the same for everybody who's there. Because our rewards of the concept of rewards that are based on what we do here. So our uh, what the Bible teaches, and I don't know exactly how it'll work, is that our responsibility in heaven, our level of responsibility based on our faithfulness here. Our wealth in heaven, our eternal bank accounts, so to speak, will be determined by what we do with what he's given us here. The Bible even talks about joy that way, that even though it'll be joyful for everybody, there'll be different levels of enjoyment, joy in there based on what we do here. That's something to be aware of, right? Because the way we build all of that there isn't by what we do there, by what we do here. And, and the other concept is there, there will be a judgment and we'll look at that. And it's not a judgment at that point of do you get into heaven or not. It's a judge of it's a judgment of of what we do on this life and will be rewarded based on that. And I want us to be ready for that. And again, our question is, what a future reward made every sacrifice in this life a no brainer? How does that future reward idea impact the way we live life? Because we have a choice, right? We can eat the marshmallow now. Or we can live in light of all that God has for us because God, the Bible teaches that the way he rewards is way different than the way we sacrifice. We sacrifice a little. He rewards disproportionately. So with that in mind, we're going to hear from Jesus because Jesus talked taught a lot about this reality and how this works. What do we get rewarded for? How do they work? How you can lose them even? So uh, and we're going to we're going to look at that in a passage in the Bible that's a really unique one because it's. A whole talk of Jesus's that he gave called the Sermon on the Mount is what we call it because it was a sermon on a mountain. And and it's the longest talk of Jesus's that we have. And he talks a lot about sacrifice and reward. And so we're going to kind of isolate that part of those parts of the talk. And here's what we get rewarded for. We're going to just kind of break it down. So the first thing he talks about is persecution. Anytime you and I are hassled or discriminated against or given a hard time because of our connection to Jesus, that creates pain. He sees that and will reward it. Here's what he says. Blessed, happy are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Like you who? Why would I consider myself blessed? Well, because of reward. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the first thing he mentions is persecution. Now, you and I, we don't live unless you're from some other place. We don't live in a persecuted part of the world. Not that we don't face discrimination and hassle. We'll talk about that, but we don't live in a persecuted part of the world. But we have to understand that millions and millions and millions of Christians do around this around this planet. And they face tremendous difficulty for their faith. This is from the Open Doors website, which I thought was a good summary while Christian persecution takes many forms, it is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ. From Sudan to Russia, from Nigeria to North Korea, from Colombia to India, followers of Christianity are targeted for their faith. They're attacked. They're discriminated against at work and school. They risk sexual violence, torture, arrest, and much more. And that's true. In fact, here's some numbers just from last year. Now, these are the ones we know about. So it's a fraction of reality. 
But we know that last year, 4,305 Christians were killed for their faith. Uh, Thousands and thousands in prison. Thousands and thousands had property seized. Thousands and thousands now are refugees as they were forced out of where they lived. But 4,305 killed. 1,847 churches were attacked last year. Uh, 245 million. That's the number of Christians who live in, in persecuted areas and face persecution every day of their lives. That's one out of eight Christians. 245 million. Now, when you think about them, our brothers and sisters all around the world, we should be praying for them. But we shouldn't necessarily have pity on them. And I can say that with confidence, not only because what Jesus said, but because I've had the privilege of traveling to a number of these countries, meeting these Christians in persecuted areas. And real quickly, you'll move from pity to something else because they don't have pity for themselves, at least the ones I've met. In fact, what I've experienced is these are the most joyful people you'll ever hang around. And it doesn't make sense because their lives are so hard, but their joy quotient is so big because they've tapped into Jesus in a rich way and they've tapped tapped into this bigger reality. I remember the first time I was impacted by that first time I experienced life with persecuted believers. I was 18 years old. I just graduated from high school and I spent the summer between high school and college in Communist bloc countries, Romania mainly, and then Hungary as well. And in those days, they were under communism, and it was an atheistic culture. And definitely Christians were persecuted for their faith. And the one thing that you could not do as a Christian, it was against the law, was to pass on Christianity, proselytize or pass on Christianity to the next generation. Even your own kids, it was against the law. to You, you could be a Christian, you just couldn't. It was against the law to tell children about it or teach children about Christianity and all that. Consider that a violation of rights. Well, I was there that summer going with this ministry called Child Evangelism Fellowship that I'd worked a lot with in high school. And we were smuggling in materials to help them pass on Christianity to the next generation and to do children's ministry like Kids Zone, like we do here. And, and, and we would um, go in as tourists, but secretly we were there to have these secret training sessions with these believers. And what I experienced there was amazing because people in these trainings, just like Kids Zone volunteers, like we call it Kids Zone here, but children's ministry volunteers, were, had sacrificed so much and were risking so much to be there. And a lot of them, a number of them had been imprisoned. For their activity, they've been in prison for their what they were doing in children's ministry. And here they were in our training. Uh, many of them had had because it was a communist country that controlled all the business, you know, everything was owned by the government. So there were a number of people who maybe were still working as engineers, but they were being paid like a street sweeper, the lowest thing, just because of what they had been doing. But the most severe were a number of families that were there in our training whose children had been taken out of their home permanently like their version of CPS had come in because of them teaching children about Jesus. And they were placed in communist orphanages all around the country. And as far as these parents were concerned, they would never see their children again. Imagine that. And here they were in our training to continue doing it. And you would think they'd be bitter and angry and all that. And, but they weren't. I mean, they, their joy just lit up the room when you were in there. And when they prayed, this was the thing that really got me. When they prayed, they would often pray about suffering in a positive way. I never experienced that as an American 18-year-old. So they were like they would huddle in prayer and they would pray passionately and they would say, "Jesus, thank you for the privilege of suffering for your name." 
And Father, we pray that you would you would give us the privilege of of joining Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's from a Bible verse. Father, we pray that we complete the sufferings of Christ in this world, in this life. That's another Bible verse. They even prayed about martyrdom because in Revelation, there's a special reward for martyrs, people who die for their faith, who were killed. And they would pray for the privilege of martyrdom. I've never been around that. I'm in this prayer circle. They're all praying, God, bring it on. I'm like, you know, don't. Like I, and so I had to go to the bathroom a lot in Romania, you know, because I just kind of duck out. So yeah, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You'll let me know when you're finished praying because I didn't. You know, maybe when I'm 88, but not 18, you know, right? I, I had life to live. And, but they just had a, a very different perspective. And they were tapped into this something bigger. Now, you and I don't face that same kind of persecution. But it doesn't mean we don't face issues or discrimination or discomfort. And God sees all of that. Some of you are students in school. And if you're in a public high school, you know, don't expect if you go public with your faith. I mean, it's one thing to be like. A closet Christian. But if you come out of the closet with your faith, don't expect high school to go, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. It's probably not going to happen. At least it didn't happen for me. I remember in ninth grade uh, when I became public about my faith, I was in a friendship circle at school. It was a really great friendship circle to be in. And I was kind of shoved out of that friendship circle. And I didn't know. Like, I remember going to the cafeteria with my tray, not knowing what table to sit at and just sitting by myself. And just saying, well, God, I guess it's you and me now. I eventually got connected to some other people. But it's like, but God saw that. God sees that. And same with you if you're a student. Some of you experience that at work. Where just because of your commitment to ethics, your commitment to doing the right thing or whatever it is, you face discrimination and it's affected your career. It's affected your sales numbers. It's affected whatever. God sees that. He'll reward that. Some of you become uh, Jesus followers out of religious environments, either Uh, In this country or some other country where your family's disowned you because of your faith and you've given up family for Jesus. He he sees that he'll reward that. So that's the first one is Christian persecution. The next is acts of righteousness will be rewarded for Now, acts of righteousness, a very churchy phrase, right? Because I'm pulling it from the passage itself. So let me translate that de-churchify it. I'll even give an Alabama translation of acts of righteousness, which is. Good stuff we do for God and other people. That's a good, even, even those of us in Alabama can understand that. Okay, so good stuff we do. God will reward us for that. Now, Jesus tells us how it works because, again, we do a little thing. He rewards us big for all eternity, but we can actually ruin it. And he's going to explain how rewards work with acts of righteousness. Here's what he says. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful. Not to practice your righteousness or literally do your acts of righteousness, practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. He's just saying if you do it in a way that designed to be impressive and other people go, wow, you're amazing. Well, you just got your reward. But therefore, just do it in a way where that's not you're you're not doing it to impress other people. You're just doing it to be faithful and you're and you sacrifice that. And when you do. God will see that and he'll reward you. So here's kind of the basic way it works. And we'll see that in the whole passage. Everything we sacrifice that we're not rewarded for here will be rewarded for there. God is generous. He doesn't have to do this. He really doesn't owe us anything. But God is so gracious that anything we sacrifice here for him, for his purposes, he sees it. He feels our pain because there's always pain with sacrifice. And he sees it. He knows it. And he will more than reward for us. So anything we're not rewarded for here, he'll reward us for there. 
Now, he's going to get specific about different acts of righteousness or good stuff we do. Giving to the poor, Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. And there he's talking about the religious leaders in Jesus's day that literally would do this. They'd have these special days where they would give these gifts to the poor and they'd make a really big deal about it with trumpets and everything else. And Jesus saying, yeah, they don't, that's not the way to do it, to be impressive. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Meaning they wanted to be impressive. They were impressive. People thought it was great. Good for them. But they've got their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's saying give. Just don't make a big deal about it. I mean, think about it like right now in, in all of our campuses in the lobbies is Toy Zone. Now, you could do Toy Zone in a way that was very impressive, right? It'd be very public. Very, you could go out in the lobby after the service and just, just yell out, you know what? Give me a whole tree full of those you know, things you get for people. I, I want the whole tree. You know, be like, wow, that's amazing. Or you could go and you could get like 20 of them and you could count out loud. Let's see, one, two, three, four. And then turn to somebody else when they come to get one and be like, oh, how many did you get? Oh, you got one? That's cute. Yeah, I got I got 20 because that, that's kind of, you know, I'm, that's my jam is helping people stuff. I'm all about other people. Right. You could do that um, or you just go get however many you want. No, make a big deal about it. And God will see that because that's a sacrifice. Right. I mean, most of us have a budget. There's only so much we can spend for Christmas. And, and so we take part of that that we're going to do for our family and do for us and say, you know, I'm going to take a chunk of that out in order to grab some of those. God sees that. And he'll reward it. It's a sacrifice. Another one. And this one's cool that we even get rewarded for this. And that is prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Again, the religious leaders in Jesus's day, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. And they pray these really long, elaborate, impressive prayers. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. They wanted to be impressive. People were impressed. They got their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Praying for other people is a wonderful thing to do. If you want to do that in a way that's big, public and impressive and that's your motive, then you'll get rewarded. But just go spend time in prayer, not make a big deal about it, and I'll reward you. Now, think of think about that. I think it's really cool that that he even includes um, prayer in the reward list. Like we get rewarded when we pray for other people. And you think, well, why? Because it is sacrificial to do that. Right. You, you give up your time to pray for somebody else. And it's one of those things that nobody sees. Like if you if you go serve in kids zone, which I think he'll reward us for that, too. But let's say you go serve in kids zone or you go serve. You lead a small group or I get up here and do a talk or whatever. Right. People see that and they're like, oh, man, that's really great. Thanks for serving. That's great. But when. Even as a pastor, when I pray, prayer is the most sacrificial thing I do, because if I pray for you, you don't know that. Only God knows that if you pray for me, if you pray for somebody else, God is the only one who knows that. When you because you could be doing something else, you could be watching Stranger Things, you know, you could be doing all kinds of stuff. But instead, you're taking time to pray for other people. God sees that. He also talks about, I won't go to the passage for time, but he, he talks about fasting is another example. Now, fasting is not 
running through life as quick as you can. That's not what fasting means. Uh, fasting is a biblical discipline where you choose to not eat for a period of time in order to focus on prayer. And, and you sense your dependence on God and increases your focus. And, and there are times of intense prayer that you, and, and Jesus says, Hey, look, you can do that in a way that makes it really obvious. You know, you can go out, you know, on purpose, take somebody to lunch and make a big deal about it and say, well, you know, I'm just drinking water because I'm fasting because I'm really into that fasting. I'm kind of, you know, real spiritual, but Hey, you enjoy your hamburger. I mean, I, you know, don't, right. You could do that or you just, you know, just kind of do your thing. Right. And Jesus saying fasting, same way, just do your thing. Now that raises a question, right? And that is, well, then is it wrong to do good things like that? Pray, whatever, in a way that's not private, in a way that's public. Do you, do you just automatically lose your reward when people find out about it? Like, you know, you're trying to pray and then somebody sees you praying. You're like, ah, shoot, you know, I'm not going to get rewarded. And, uh, and, and that question came up a lot with um, something that we're still doing uh, called Love Does the Unexpected. And notice there's a hashtag in front of it. Because what we want people to do is love people with Jesus kind of love, which is unexpected, which is always surprising to win over a skeptical world and let people know there is a God who loves you. And Jesus told us to do this as a church. He said, you know, that, hey, this is the way people will know that you're legit if you love one another the way I've loved you. So all we're trying to do is just love our community in ways that are surprising that cause people to say, why would you do this? What's up? And we can say, well, because there's, you know, Jesus and and that's the way he loves. And I'm just trying to pass that on. And it it hopefully gives glory to him. Right. That's the point of love does the unexpected. But notice it's there's a hashtag because we want people to do things. So it may be an unexpected recipient. Like, who are the people in our community that think we hate them as Christians? Well, we don't hate anybody. So let's love them like crazy. Or who are uh, maybe take, you know, serve in some ways that people might expect, but just take it to a whole other level. Right. And serve. And so what we're asking people to do is to do stuff and then share it to encourage other people and to let other people see those good things it, little things and big things. It could be, you know, just at school, at work, at, in your neighborhood, just looking for ways to love in unexpected ways. You think, well, yeah, well, that doesn't that violate what Jesus said. And I got that gotten that question a lot. So let's think about it a little bit. Not necessarily. Depends on your motive. So Jesus said, hey, don't make a big deal about prayer. Just pray privately. Well, guess what? He actually prayed publicly a lot. I don't think he was violating his own principle when he did that. He said, hey, give to the needy. Just don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do it in prayer. Well, there's a lot of times he did stuff for the poor. We have a lot of those stories where he cared for the poor in very public ways. I don't think he was violating his own principle. And, and in fact, in the same sermon, here's what he tells us to do. Matthew 5, 16. I mean, same exact sermon, same exact talk, Sermon on the Mount. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, good stuff you do for other people and glorify your father in heaven. So here he's saying do them publicly, right? Because he's saying when he's saying others, he's talking about those outside the faith that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven, meaning do things that people can see. One of the ways people can see that in our culture is social media, which is why the hashtag thing. So there, I think it's just about motive. So if you put on hashtag love does the unexpected stuff on there to impress your to be impressive. Okay. You got your reward if people are impressed. 
if you do it so that people will see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven and be encouraged to do the same kind of thing. Well, you'll be rewarded for that. It's about motive. And the truth is, our motives are always mixed anyway, and God will sort that out in a generous way. Make sense? And here's the other one that he talks about, and that is kingdom generosity. Now, if acts of righteousness sounded churchy, kingdom generosity is really sounding churchy, right? Because we, we don't live in a kingdom. I mean, we, you know, it's America, right? We're democracy, right? You know, what's kingdom? Is that Game of Thrones? Where are, what are we talking about? Well, kingdom is a, is a very biblical concept and, it, and a very important concept. And it's why I went ahead and, and worded it that way. Because in the sermon that we're looking at, this is a big point of his sermon. Jesus says, but seek first his, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's saying live a kingdom-focused life. Well, what, what does that mean? Live a kingdom-focused life. Well, Jesus came bringing and establishing the kingdom of God on this planet. And one day he will return and make that complete. And, and what that means is, is that God's right to rule this planet has been challenged by Satan's rebellion and by humanity's sin. And we live in a broken world where it's not working like it should. The kingdom of God works perfectly. We live in a broken world that doesn't. And Jesus, when he came the first time, came into this planet to begin to make things right. He came as the king. To make it possible to defeat sin, to make it possible for people to be reconciled to God and have a relationship with God. And he came to start this thing called church, expressed in local churches like this one, to begin to move into the darkness with light, to be able to move into the mess with redemption, to be able to grow his kingdom, meaning to make this world the way it should be under his reign, the way he wants it to be. And so he calls the church to be the place where people can be reconciled to God. And we let people know the church to be, we're, we're here to make this world better. We're here to make this world more like it was supposed to be. And one day Jesus will return and he will complete that. And everybody will know he's king and the world will be exactly the way it should be. In the meantime, God is growing his kingdom through this thing called church. And so when he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, is saying, hey, make your life about that, not just about your own kingdom or about your own life. And when he talks about that, this is the end of a, of a passage where really what he's talking about is what we do with our finances. Which is another thing we're rewarded for. When we give to God's work in the world, his kingdom work, what God's doing in the world through the church, he sees that and he will reward us for that. And because of that, Jesus says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Meaning if we focus our money that we have on consumption... We just get a bunch of stuff. Okay, you got your reward. Hope you enjoyed your stuff because it's all we're just all going to leave it. Right. It's going to be everything we're excited about now that we buy is going to be a garage sale item one day. Right. Is what he's saying. But store up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also. Jesus is saying simply this, in light of eternity, the fact that God will reward us in heaven for everything we give now to his kingdom purposes, what he's doing in the world through the church. Then if we're smart, instead of, you know, just spending money now for now, you who instead send it on to our eternal bank account, because the way we will build wealth in eternity is not based on what we do there, but what we do here. Our, our eternal bank account is built with how faithful we are here with the financial resources God's given us. And so Jesus is saying, just be really smart. Uh, there's a way to say that 
that I think is really helpful, and I didn't come up with it, is Randy Alcorn in a book called The Treasure Principle. He says we can either live for the dot or the line. So this dot, notice the line goes on forever, right? That's eternity. That's the line. This dot is, is represents life here on earth. Now, I don't know whether you, let's say you live 110 years. I don't think I want to live that long, but let's say you live 110 years. And that's great, right? But compared to eternity, that's nothing. I mean, 110 years is just a nothing compared to eternity. I mean, 110,000 years is nothing compared to eternity. Think about that. And Jesus is saying, hey, you can enjoy it now or you can send it on ahead. It's up to you. He's just saying, look, in light of that bigger picture, if you're smart, you're probably going to live for the line more than the dot. But it's your choice. And a lot of times people ask me, Jeff, how much should I give? Like, how much should I give to the poor? How much should I give what God's doing in the world through the church and all that? Well, you decide what to give. I mean, God tells us to set aside a percentage of our income and to give that and to be ready to give above and beyond that, too. And we say, well, what percentage should I give? Well, you decide. How much do you want to be rewarded for? How much do you want to spend now? That's the deal. So that's the other thing that God says. All right. So um, financial, everything we give up now will be rewarded for in eternity. That's whether it's persecution where we give up comfort and you know, what reputation, whatever it is, whether it's acts of righteousness, things that we do. Kingdom generosity will be rewarded for all of it. And where that will happen is that judgment I talked about. Now, judgment's always kind of a scary word, right? And, uh, but I want to, but when those of us who are Jesus followers get to heaven, we'll face this judgment called the Bema seat judgment, because this word is literally Bema seat, judgment seat. Bema is a Greek word. And it says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Does that sound a little intimidating? Stand before Jesus give. I remember the first time I heard this passage concept. I remember it. And I was in junior high and I went with a friend to church and this Sunday school teacher, this lady was teaching about this. And she scared the heck out of me. And uh, and what she said was, she said, well, here's what this means. What's going to happen is when you get to heaven. God's going to show all of heaven, like on this big jumbotron. Everything you've done, good or bad, like all your, I mean, the good things, but also every sin that you've ever done, it'll be there. It'll be like picture Cowboy Stadium with a big, you know, screen and all of heaven's in the stands and they're seeing everything you've done last night or this week or your whole life, right? You're like, ah, I mean, can you imagine that? You know, here, and because you know what's coming, right? So you got Abraham and Moses like sitting there and you're like, Hey, yeah, this next one, you guys may want to look away. Like, you know, I mean, but imagine, like, it's, I, the way I picture it is everybody's eating popcorn and hot dogs, and they're like, yeah, that was a good one, or, oh, man, that's terrible, or whatever, right? You're thinking, oh, I, like, I didn't want to go to heaven. It's like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, I, who wants that? And the good news is, that's not going to happen. That's not what this judgment's about. What the Bible says is, once we say yes to Jesus, Jesus died to satisfy God's judgment for our sins, that we would never face judgment for our sin. And Romans 8, 1 says, there's now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt of our sin is gone. This is not about judgment for our sin. Nobody's going to see your sins in heaven. What this is about, and, and this isn't necessarily even public either, but this is about the good stuff we do for God. The stuff that we get rewarded for. 
what we've done with what God's given us. And we've done some stupid stuff with what God's given us. And we've done some great stuff that we've, with God's given us. We've done good things with good motives. We've done good things with bad motives. And it'll be sorted out there. And we will be rewarded for it. In fact, most people think the Bama seat that he's talking about is like at the Olympic Games, the Greek Games that Paul talked a lot about. And they're giving out rewards. And you're on the podium first, second, third place and getting your reward. And that's what he's talking about. This is about rewards. This is about the good stuff you do. And it'll be judged based on... Hey, if you've been, if you already got the reward, okay, that's done. But if you weren't recompensed for it, I will more than recompense. And that's going to happen in that moment. And the reason I talk about that is, again, I want you to be prepared and I want to be prepared for that moment. Because it's going to happen if you're a Jesus follower. It's like this is a real thing. Now, I want you to picture yourself there at the Bama seat, at that judgment. And think about your perspective there, what it will be about your life right now. With the choices you're making with, right? I mean, and me too. Like, like imagine if you could talk to your future self. Like if I could talk to my Bama seat, Jeff, like future Jeff, because I think I know what future Jeff would say. It, like if I'm at that judgment, he'd say, dude, like, what are you doing? Quit being stupid. Like quit wasting your life on things that don't matter. Quit wasting your resources on things that don't matter. Quit wasting your time on things that don't matter. Do everything you can that matters for eternity. Not only because it'll give you a better life now, living life for something that matters, but because this reward thing is real. And live life now in anticipation of that. And that's the choice that we have. But it's not easy to live that way, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like the marshmallow thing, right? Are we going to do this or that? And, and we've always got that choice to make. So in light of that, you know, again, our question in this sermon is, what a future reward made every sacrifice in this life a no-brainer? Think about your life right now. And if this is true, and I believe it is, Jesus taught it, then think about your life in light of that, how we're living it now. So some of you right now are facing some big decisions in your life. And God, you may feel like is calling you to do something that's pretty sacrificial, would cost you a lot of your comfort, whatever it is. I don't know, whatever. You can make that decision in the here and now, or you can make that decision in the light of eternity. And what would it look like to make that decision in light of eternity? Because chances are it would be a very different decision. Um, think about, maybe it's not a decision, maybe just how you're living your life. Think about how you're living your, your, your relational life with your friends, with your, in your marriage or in your family. How would you live sacrificially now? More in light of this bigger reality. Think about how you do your career, how you do work, how you do church, how you do finances, how you do all of it. How would you do it differently? And I want us to go to God with that question. Because I believe we'll be grateful for every sacrificial thing that we do. And not only that, Jesus told us it's not just about heaven. He said the only way we can really live an, an awesome life now, I said the only way you can gain life is to lose the one you have. He sacrificed for us and modeled the same way to live a sacrificial life. And so in light of that, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go to God with that thought and that prayer about sacrifice in light of future reward, considering what Jesus did for us. Uh, we're going to celebrate something and, and pray, talk to God in these moments while we do something called communion. And I'm going to ask the ushers at all the campuses right now to go ahead and start passing out the communion elements, um, meaning as soon as you're just get them going. And what they're going to pass out, what communion is, is these little crackers 
and some little cups of grape juice. And what that is, is something Jesus asked us to do when he was on this planet. He said, from time to time, I want you to remember this. And I, I think one that we could thank him for his sacrifice, but also consider what does it mean to live the same way, to live a sacrificial, God-focused, other-focused life. And so in a little bit, as these elements go by, and go ahead and start passing them. Um, uh, we're not going to tell you when to do it. You could do this on your own time today because I want you to have time to consider just ask God what you want to ask God and talk to him. Um, everybody can participate if you want to honor God in this way, but you certainly don't have to um, participate. And, and as we do, the, the little crackers remind us of Jesus's body that was broken for us when he died on the cross. That's the sacrifice we're talking about. He died on the cross for our sin to take the penalty for sin that we deserve. And the, the juice reminds us of his blood that was spilled for us. Again, when he died on the cross and the the whole thing of the cross in Christianity, why it's such a big deal is because Jesus died on that cross for you and me to take the penalty, to take the judgment of sin that we deserve. Because you and I cannot be good enough to make up for our bad. We'd all be doomed without the sacrifice of Jesus. And he came to give his life. And the Bible teaches that he offers forgiveness as a gift, meaning it's a sacrifice. He wants nothing in return. Because there's nothing we can do anyway. And so you just say yes to him. And, and for some of you, if you don't know Jesus, this may be your time to, to say, you know what? I, I'll say yes to that. For him to come into my life, forgive me, begin to change me, begin to grow me, call me to, to something better that he has for me. For those of us who know Jesus, it's an opportunity, again, just to, in these moments as we thank God for his sacrifice for us, is just to ask God a dangerous but really important question in life is say, God, what sacrifices are you calling me to do? Because I want to live for you. I want to live in light of eternity. So as I go out of this place in a few minutes, like, what do you want me to walk away with? What sacrifice are you calling me to do? So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a little bit of time to talk with God in, in prayer that way. And then the worship teams all over campuses are going to lead us in a song. It just helps us reflect on the sacrifice of, of Jesus. Uh, let me pray uh, just to kind of get us into that. Father, thank you for your sacrifice for us. You gave everything. And God, I pray for people who right now may be at the point where they're ready to say yes to what you offer. You gave everything. It costs you a lot, Jesus dying on the cross, but you, you offer forgiveness as a gift. It's not about us trying to be good enough for you. And for many, Father, I pray right now you would call them to really become a Jesus follower. It just means saying yes to that gift and, and saying yes to your presence in their life that will begin to grow and change and transform Father, for those of us who may be taking that step, God, as we reflect on your sacrifice with these elements, your body that was broken for us, your blood that was spilled for us, God, would you, would you call us to live a similar sacrificial life? Because as Jesus said, that's what's really life, is a life of giving ourselves away for the sake of something bigger. God, we thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.